Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello, all of you canine fans, and welcome back to another exciting episode of The Animal Files. In our previous episode, and we warned you, we walked you through the lively world of well-loved and very popular sporting breeds like the Labradors and the Goldens and all that stuff. And we showcased their history, their characteristics, and of course, some of the reasons that they've won the hearts of all of us humans. But today, we are going to switch the gears. And we're going to talk about some of the, I guess you can say, unsung heroes or the hidden treasures, but basically the rarer of the sporting dog breeds who stand out just as well as the Labradors and Goldens do here in North America and in the UK. So let's get this conversation going because these breeds are pretty exciting. Hmm. Yeah, you know, these breeds might not be a household name. You've maybe never heard of them before, but they're very interesting because they've got a very rich history and they've got remarkable skills that deserve our attention. And they really hold a special place in the hearts of those who are involved with breeding these particular dogs and who also have a strong appreciation for some of the distinct abilities and qualities that they have. So let's talk about why these breeds have never become popular or perhaps have lost their popularity. But just because they're not popular or have lost their popularity doesn't mean that these dogs don't have any value. All dogs have value. (laughs) (laughs) But on that note, the idea of value can depend on the powers that be who can be a little bit finicky and decide that maybe some of the specific characteristics that this breed was bred for is no longer appreciated. So, I mean, this could be regarding their coat color, their body type, maybe the specialty or job that they were bred for, perhaps their behaviors, perhaps other things. Another reason could be is that perhaps other countries outside of where these dogs have been bred have not yet come to appreciate or just haven't chosen to recognize these breeds. You know, with these organizations and associations and that that exist, they set out a certain amount of criteria. And if breeds don't fit this particular set of criteria, then they may not be accepted. Mm, Powers that be. (laughs) (laughs) Another, I think really good reason that people need to think about is that some of these breeds can be very, very, very high maintenance. They can also be very vocal and they may not really be designed at this point to be living the animal companion life. I mean, they still get along with the humans who care for them and family, but they are more like 99.9% working dogs. Yeah. And if you can't really be your basic quote unquote family pet, I mean, I've, I've seen people who like chose a breed and found out the breed just did not fit. It was more of a working dog, but they just barked 
entirely because that's what they were bred for. And you can't Mm -hmm. really stop when a dog is there to alert all the time. It's really hard to curb that back to just be your common house dog. Mm -hmm. So that kind of makes sense. And then maybe some of these breeds are fit for very, very specific and focused types of work. And if Mm -hmm. that type of work isn't available in other regions, then yeah, obviously they would have a smaller reach, Mm -hmm. so to speak. That's not to say that some of these dogs couldn't become more popular in the future. Yeah. But, you know, we also have to consider if we try to force them to become more like animal companions, is that for our desire or, you know, how much is that going to benefit them? Yeah. There could also possibly be some other reasons, lesser known reasons that they might not be as popular as well that we're not aware of. Sure. So is there more stuff that we need to know? Let's find out. (laughs) Let's find out. (laughs) Well, as you listen to us talk about some of these breeds, it might pique your interest and have you thinking, Ooh, that sounds like a dog that is really interesting that I would want to consider. But you may not have an easy time acquiring these dogs. I mean, if you're choosing them for the right reason as as well. Because since many of these breeds are not truly recognized by organizations in North America or the UK, it can be really difficult and sometimes impossible to acquire particular rare dog breeds. That makes sense. I mean, the North American and the UK markets, they tend to dominate when it comes to breeding and registering and all of that stuff. So that would make Mm -hmm. a lot of sense. And if you remember us talking in a previous episode, I forget which one it was specifically, but we had mentioned something about getting an animal from another country and shipping them on a boat or a plane or whatever method might be used to get them to where you are, that you really need to consider the stress that's putting on the animal. Absolutely. Is it really worth it for them? It's not fair to them to put them under that much stress just because you want something rare. Mm -hmm. I mean, if there is a legit reason, I don't know any legit reason that would say, oh, I'm going to get a dog from 5,000 miles away from me and ship it on a boat or a plane. No, I can't find any legitimate reason in my brain. But, you know, like if you have a specific task that has to be done by a specific breed and you can't get that specific breed within your country, I don't know. Could that be a reason? I don't know. Find another dog and train them. I mean, there, there's many dogs that can do similar jobs. So, you know, be kind to the dog. Be fair to the dog. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you live in the country where these dogs are already being bred and you do acquire one while you're living there and then choose to move to another country, that's a little bit of a different consideration because we do encourage trying to keep family together as much as possible. Yeah. (laughs) But there are some significant fundamental basics surrounding unique and rare sporting dog breeds that you know you should be aware of this is going again more in the general and we'll get more into the specific when we actually talk about the specific breeds we're focusing on today but with just rare dogs in general but rare sporting breeds many of them have rich histories that are tied to specific regions or hunting traditions and their origins can provide insights into their unique qualities and purpose 
They often will possess specialized skills that may not be present in more common breeds, which it could include a distinct tracking ability or a unique approach to retrieving and can be valuable for specific hunting or sporting tasks. As we already mentioned, finding a rare, well-bred sporting dog will require most likely more effort just because of where they're located. And if this is something you truly want to do and you've got the animal's well-being at heart, it's crucial to connect with reputable breeders who will prioritize these animals' health, their temperament, and the preservation of the breed standards. I would think some of these rare breeds, you would have more reputable breeders. I would think that if they're not very common, the people who really love the breed are going to take care in managing that breed. Maybe yeah. I'm thinking too much of humanity, but, um, <laughs> but I would think, I would think the rarer the animal is, I mean, I would think that you would have more irreputable breeders with dogs like Labradors and Goldens because they're so popular, especially now like the Golden Doodles and stuff like that, right. because they're so popular that everybody wants to make a quick buck. But if you have a rare breed that isn't very popular, the demand is going to be smaller. And so the people who really love these breeds mm -hmm. are really going to take care and concern in how they're breeding and they're going to understand the breed and they're going to, you know, really try to better the breed in ways that somebody who's looking to make a quick buck would not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds like it makes sense to me, but who knows? <laughs> we can only hope, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But if you're out there and you're breeding these rare dogs, thank you very much if you are taking care and concern for the breed and for the dog mm -hmm. itself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, if you're thinking of considering a rare breed, you need to keep in mind that they can exhibit a wide range of traits that may provide challenges you might not be prepared for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they'll probably share some characteristics with the more popular breeds. But some of them can also have quirks that make them really stand out. Now, one of the benefits, I guess, of these breeds for the people who really appreciate them is that the enthusiasts of rare breeds often form tight-knit communities, which will share information, support, and a passion for preserving these dogs' unique qualities. Good humans loving good dogs. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you were to engage with these communities, they can be valuable for learning about the breed and finding resources. And it might be even possible to reach out to these communities ahead of time to learn more and find out, is this particular breed a good choice for me? Mm -hmm. Now, we've talked about in the past that proper training and socialization are essential for any dog, but they're even more important for the rare breeds because their unique traits can require specialized training approaches and you need to be able to ensure that they are well socialized so that they can adapt to a variety of environments. Yeah, and we have to remember that these are sporting breeds. They're highly intelligent dogs and because of that they will have maybe a stronger will. They may try to be who they are and you may not like that, <laughs> but they're going to 
be like, no, I know my place. I know what I do. And you can't tell me otherwise. So they may end up having that a little bit of an abstinence because they're smart and they think for themselves because they have to, if they're going to support their human in the job that they were bred for, Mm -hmm. they have to be that way. Right. And they have to make quick decisions on the spot. So, you know, when you have a highly intelligent animal, any animal, you may think that they're quote unquote dumb because they don't listen to you, but maybe they're just too smart and you're the dumb one. <laughs> In their eyes, at least. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I kid, but that's, you know, you have to understand that these are sporting dogs. So they have to be quick thinking, problem solving animals. Yeah. And so that's going to carry over into any situation they're in. Yeah, that pretty much goes with any kind of working dog, whether they're herders or hunters or retrievers or police dogs or doing those kinds of jobs or whatever. Any of these kinds of dogs have to have a certain level of intelligence because if the handler or owner, whichever case it might be, is having to constantly tell the dog what to do and when to do it. They're not going to be very effective in what they're doing. True. Yep. So you have to keep that in mind that they're going to try to figure a certain amount of things out for themselves, even if it might go against what you want them to do. Now, one of the good things about considering a rare breed, if it was something you're considering, is that you would be helping to contribute to the preservation of a piece of canine heritage. That's important. Yeah. Because we assume you would be supporting responsible breeding practices that would help to maintain the genetic diversity and ensure that these breeds have a future. But as we already mentioned, it is definitely extremely important to consider the transportation of these animals to wherever you might be currently living and how that's going to impact them. Yeah. All right. So now that we've given them the overview, what are the breeds that we're going to be covering in the second half? So we're going to be talking about the wire-haired Vishla. Now, you may have heard of the Vishla, which is a more common breed, but the wire-haired Vishla is considered a separate breed and is considered rare. We'll be talking about the small and the large Munsterlander. Mm-hmm. And I might be butchering these names a little bit, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> it sounds right to me, so we'll just go with it. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it's probably Dutch or German. So Munsterlander, that makes sense to me. So (laughs) if there's any of you guys out there that know this breed and we're butchering the name, let us know by uh, emailing us at the Animal Files podcast at gmail.com because we want to make sure that we honor these breeds and say their Mm -hmm. names properly. But I think I've got a handle on it. Yeah. (laughs) So... Then we've got the red and white Irish setter, which again is considered a separate breed from the Irish setter. Yeah, red setters are gorgeous. There's the Chesky Fusek, I think, (laughs) (laughs) which is also called the Bohemian wire-haired pointing griffin. Such a cool name. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And last but not least, we've got the Brock Francais, the French pointing dog. So when we come back from our break, we're going to delve further into the specific characteristics and the history of these dogs. All right. So make sure you come back and we're going to discuss these five very cool breeds. So we'll see you in a bit. 
Hi everyone, we hope you've been enjoying Season 3. It's been a great couple of years so far. Miranda and I just want to take a moment and thank you all for joining us on this journey and listening each and every week. We've got lots planned for you this season, great interviews, great topics, and we're even building you a home on YouTube. If you want to help us out and be the first in line, just head to YouTube, look for the Animal Files podcast and hit that subscribe button. Or you can just head to the website www.theanimalfilespodcast.com. Calm. Now that that's out of the way, let's get back to the conversation. And we're back. Thank you for sticking with us. We are talking about rare sporting breeds. Has anything stood out for you? If it has, are you ready to explore some greater detail of these unusual, cool, and less common dogs? Well, I'm hoping that you're all saying yes, because we're going to start now. <laughs> <laughs> And we're going to have fun while we do it. Yes. <laughs> Let's get right into it. Okay. Well, before we actually get into the first dog that we mentioned before the break, as a side note, I want to acknowledge one of the breeds that we haven't mentioned, the Legato Romagnale. Oh, Romagnale. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting name. <laughs> Legato Romagnolo. Wow. Yeah, I think we both butchered that one, but it's okay. <laughs> so what's so cool about these dogs? Well, what's interesting about this particular breed is that they are believed to be the original breed from which all of the other water sporting dogs descended. Oh, neat. Well, thank you, so... Mr. Logato. <laughs> <laughs> so originally this breed's early purpose was to be a water retriever and they used to retrieve waterfowl from the wetlands and marshes of the Romagna region because of their excellent swimming ability, their water-resistant coat, and their strong work ethic. Neat. However, in that location, the demand for waterfowl hunting declined. So these dogs ended up finding a new calling as truffle dogs. Oh, they went searching for mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, that's cool. That's a kind of hunting, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> because they're using their keen scenting ability and they indicate the presence of these truffles by pawing at the ground. And if you're not sure what a truffle is, they are a type of highly prized fungi that grows underground near the roots of certain trees. Yeah, and you've probably seen them in really fancy restaurants. Truffle fries. <laughs> truffle this truffle that yeah <laughs> yeah and some of you might be thinking chocolate truffles well not, not quite the same thing not quite not quite <laughs> you can get truffle oil it's very bougie <laughs> it's very bougie <laughs> and i i think i've had it in the past but not very often so i can't remember what the flavor is but i hear it's delicious <laughs> mm. So legatos have since become known as specialized truffle searchers. Mm, fancy. <laughs> I bet they're treated really well, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good job for a dog to have. <laughs> so we're going to go back now to the five other dogs that we mentioned before the break. And the first one we had mentioned was the wire-haired Vishla. As I had mentioned, this is a lesser known breed that does share similarities with the more popular Vishla, but they are considered a separate breed from them, not 
just a variation. They are a bit larger and heavier boned than the more common vishla. Yeah, because vishlas are pretty tall and slender, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. So this particular breed was developed in Hungary for pointing and retrieving game, especially in the harsher terrains. Their wiry coat provides the benefit of protecting them while they're working in dense covers like bush or tangled sort of tree kind of areas. It's very versatile and able to participate in hunting, retrieving, agility, tracking, dog diving, working as a therapy dog, hiking, backpacking, plus many other activities. <laughs> wow. That's a high achieving dog breed there. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Beastlas are extremely intelligent dogs. Mm. They have strong wills. Mm -hmm. So they probably just love working hard. Maybe they're A-type personality. That's what they are. <laughs> <laughs> they are very family-oriented as well. These wire-haired vishlas are easygoing, adaptable, calm, gentle, loyal, and clever, and sensitive. Mm. They do not do well with harsh training and angry, loud voices. This tends to create an upset for them, but... They do require training as soon as possible to avoid any unwanted behavior challenges. So you need to have firm and consistent training, but not harsh and punishing type of training. Mm, should do that with any dog. But yeah. Our opinion. And hopefully it's most of our listeners' opinion. <laughs> <laughs> now, as I said, this is a family dog, and they tend to be referred to as Velcro dogs as well because... They always want to be with you. Mm, how sweet. <laughs> now, we talked about the small and the large Munsterlander, and we said we're talking about five breeds. Well, not quite true, because these are actually two separate and unrelated breeds. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> the dog breeding world is so strange. <laughs> <laughs> But the large Munsterlander is a bit more common than the smaller version and is related to the black and white variation of the German long-haired pointers. The small Munsterlander is a close relative, but it's an older breed and it came from the Falconer's bird dogs. Oh, old occupation too. Mm. Now, if you look at them, they both look very much like a Springer Spaniel, but they're not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm both or not. <laughs> but at least you know they're good looking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are both versatile and skilled in pointing and retrieving game, particularly birds. And they are, like most of these dogs, are known for their intelligence and their trainability. But small moonsterlanders are better at close searching and pointing. Whereas the large Munsterlander is more well-rounded in their capabilities of pointing and retreating. Now, Munsterlanders may not do well in homes where they are unable to frequently exercise their natural hunting instincts. And if you have smaller animals, you may end up having some tragedies. Yeah, and we talked about that last week. I mean, you have to let these dogs be the dogs that they're meant to be. They're being trained to hunt. And you can't fault them for their prey drive, especially these rare breeds. 
because they're really focused on keeping the breed pure and you can't expect these rare breeds to be exactly what you want and say oh no we have a hamster we have a cat we have a small dog they'll be fine you can't think like that again untrained human thinking (laughs) they can be curbed and trained but you cannot take out these instinctual behaviors especially in rarer breeds that are so pure to the purpose that they were bred for in the first place right you know when you think about a Labrador Retriever, for example, when they were originally bred, they were probably very much the same way where their hunting instincts were so, so strong. But now with the breeding, the fact that they've been family dogs for so long and everything, that aspect has probably been greatly diluted. Yeah. And I like that you said diluted because it's never gone. You can't breed out instinct, but you can mitigate it, dilute it, and and subdue it over a long period of time. Labradors mm-hmm. have been bred for family dogs for many, many years. So they got a head start on some of these breeds because these breeds, they're still doing the jobs they're bred for. Mm-hmm. And they may always be doing the jobs that they've been bred for. Exactly. Who knows? <laughs> so both of these small and large Munsterlander breeds, they are very affectionate, loyal, intelligent, full of energy. But the small Munsterlanders can also have a more playful nature. Mm. They do have a keen sense of smell and they will bark when they find their quote unquote quarry. And they do require plenty of mental stimulation and physical activity to help prevent any destructive behavior that might develop if those needs aren't met. But it is actually quite difficult to tire out these breeds. <laughs> yeah. Animals that are handfuls don't typically become wide appeal because you have to mm-hmm. have a, a certain temperament as a human to deal with them or be providing them the job that they were bred for. Right. Next, we're going to talk about the Irish red and white setter. You know, people might look at this dog and say, well, it's just the same as an Irish setter. It's just got a different coat coloring. Why is it a rare breed? Well, (laughs) they are considered to be a separate breed by the dog world. It's also a bit smaller and an older breed than the Irish Setter. Their temperament and their hunting skills are pretty close to the same. Although, as we had just talked about, the Irish Red and White Setter's instincts are going to probably be much more pure because they are still doing the job they were bred for. Whereas Mm -hmm. your companion animal, Irish setters, maybe not so much. Yeah. So Irish red and white setters were bred in Ireland for hunting game. And they have a keen sense of smell and a strong hunting instinct. Kind of obvious. According to the American Kennel Club, they have the stamina and the intensity to hunt all day long and then some. Oh, wow. That's an energetic (laughs) dog. (laughs) Plus, they typically will not turn off their hunting instincts once they come indoors. Mm. Yeah, that can be rough if you have other animals. Mm -hmm. So again, like some of these other dogs, encouragement rather than force is going to be much more effective when it comes to training. Setters, in general, typically mature mentally and emotionally at a much slower rate than other breeds. So they could be three, four years old before they actually even mature. 
kind of like Labrador. I, I mean, maybe that's just my perception of Labradors, but yeah, <laughs> Labradors are like perpetual puppies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's just probably because they're so energetic and just love life so much, but they just seem like puppies all the yeah. time. <laughs> they can be eight years old and still try to act like a puppy. <laughs> The Irish Red and White Setter generally does get along well with children. That's good. But they might be too exuberant for really young children. And as a result, could potentially cause injury if they knock them over or knock them into something or something like that. They can live with other dogs, but placing them in a home with cats is not really a great idea. They may not. (laughs) Yeah. They may not kill them, but it's not likely going to be a positive relationship. Yeah, because he's always going to be hunting the cat. The cat's going to be hiding in places where the dog can't get to. So one more important thing to note about these setters, and I think probably setters in general, but these setters are very susceptible to bloat. So it is really important to learn how to feed them appropriately and safely. Yes. And if you are unaware of what bloat is, it is a life-threatening condition that happens i believe if a dog gulps too much air the stomach flips yeah there's bloat surgery now where they're like actually sew the stomach in position to some of these predisposed animals but if you don't catch it soon enough your dog will die within 24 hours it's a scary condition it's not a sickness it's not an illness it's not a disease it's a condition that happens because of something so yeah Mm -hmm. it's a scary thing So the fourth dog that we are bringing to you is the Chesky Fusek, also known as the Bohemian Wire-Haired Pointing Griffin. I love that name. Every time you say it, that's such a cool name. (laughs) Now, maybe you guessed from the first part of the name, this breed was developed in Czechoslovakia, which was actually previously known as the Kingdom of Bohemia. Mm. Hence, Hence the second name. Yeah, Bohemian <laughs> yes. wire pointing griffin. <laughs> so they've actually been around for a fair while, but kept pretty much as a working dog. They were developed in the 13th century, and they are known for their versatility as a hunting dog. They excel in pointing and retrieving, and their coarse wire-haired coat helps to, again, to provide them protection in the rough terrain. Now, appearance-wise, one of the things that makes this dog stand out is the appearance of having both a beard and a mustache. (laughs) See, this breed is getting better and better. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, grooming also has an impact on maintaining that or not. Yeah. (laughs) So these dogs are highly active, loyal, easygoing, affectionate, And they require a lot of attention and engagement. They're not going to be suitable for people who are going to be away from home for more than two hours because they can become very vocal and very destructive if they are left alone for too long. Yeah, I wonder if it's a combination of just not having that expression of energy that these dogs desperately need, like Mm -hmm. doing their job and maybe even being anxious because they don't have something to do Mm -hmm. but that causes that anxiety which may cause the destructive behaviors and the barking because 
I mean, how many times we talk about anxiety and stress and barking and destructive behaviors. Mm -hmm. So that might be a little bit of both. Like I can't express this energy. I got all this pent up. I don't know what to do with it, Mm -hmm. but now I'm by myself and I have nothing to do. So I'm going to find something to do because I have to satisfy that need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot more dogs that are like that than Mm -hmm. I think we think, you know, I mean, working dogs, they are highly active and they always have a job. So it's very obvious that when they don't have a job, they're going to struggle. But I think there are other animals, you know, taking individuality into the conversation that some of these animals may have some of these similar characteristics that because it's not a quote unquote breed standard or breed quality it gets overlooked. Mm. Animals like to have things to do. They do, especially dogs, but cats as well. They don't do well if they are bored. Yeah. Even though they can sleep like 18 hours a day or whatever, but <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, hey, when my cats were bored, that's when they slept more. So who knows? Maybe if you have a cat that sleeps all the time, it's because they're bored. I mean, look at us humans. What do we do when we're bored? Mm. We sleep or we veg out in front of a TV. What's the right. best way for an animal to veg out? Take a nap. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I think we're going on tangents. A little that's bit. O- <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. It's what we do here. <laughs> we're going to move on to the Brock Francais. This dog is also referred to as the French pointing dog. Mm -hmm. This breed is a group of pointing dog breeds that originated from France and they come in two varieties. And again, I might be butchering this, but the Gascogne type. Yeah. I don't know how you say that in French. I'm sure that's a French pronunciation, but. Cogne, maybe. Gascogne type and the Perennian type. The Perennian type is the smaller of the two. These dogs are skilled hunters and retrievers. They often are used for hunting game birds, and they were bred to hunt the very rugged and arid Pyrenees mountain range on the border of France and Spain. Mm. So they have a connection to the great Pyrenees working dog. Mm -hmm. Probably not as big, though. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And like a lot of these other dogs, they have an extremely strong prey drive along with a high level of stamina and endurance. This breed is also very intelligent, friendly, affectionate, generally gets along with other dogs, but not other types of pets. And they can be good with older children when they are exposed to them as puppies. Not good for little kids. Not really, no. And as well, like a lot of these other dogs, they are prone to anxiety if they are left alone for too long. So you've probably noticed a theme. (laughs) With a lot of these Just dogs. a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Which, if you were considering any of these dogs, perhaps you might be reconsidering at this point. <laughs> so do you guys remember the key points that we mentioned at the end of our last week's episode that we listed to help you to determine if a sporting dog is the right choice for you and your family? Hopefully, if not, go back and listen to it because there's a lot of great information in there and good questions. (laughs) Yes. Just as an overview, it's important to always consider the dog's exercise needs and your energy level, your time commitment, your budget, whether you have any children or other pets, and the amount of space you can provide for your dog. 
And if you listened really closely and saw the theme, you probably have realized that many of these dogs do not combine well with young children or other pets. Many will have an extreme amount of energy and drive, and most are not going to do well if they are left alone for too long, as they can easily become bored. Highly intelligent dogs get bored easy. Mm -hmm. Working dogs need a job. Doesn't matter whether they're a retriever, whether they're a setter, whether they're an active hunter, whether they just sit there and mind your sheep in the working dog category, they need to be mentally stimulated Mm -hmm. because they thrive when they can make snap decisions. They thrive when they can problem solve. They thrive when they have something. These are A-type personality dogs. These are not dogs that want to be a couch potato. Mm -hmm. These are active, active dogs. Take a border collie and times it by three Mm -hmm. or 10, depending on the breed, how closely they are to their primary breed focus. Mm -hmm. Very important to keep all those things in mind. Now, some of these dogs sound very cool. And if you have the opportunity to give them the life that they need and deserve and you live where these guys are being bred, go for it. But just know what you're getting into. And hopefully this episode and last week's episode can give you more of an idea of what you're working with with some of these breeds. Mm -hmm. And as always, if you have any questions just email us at the animal files podcast at gmail.com. We're happy to answer all your questions. We're happy to be taught things. So if you know about these breeds, let us know. And hopefully, you know, we can expand our knowledge as well. And if you're not an email person and you like the socials, you can find us over there too. Just search for the animal file official pretty much on all the platforms and You can get all of our links there to resources. You can support us. You can even email us straight from the website and you can listen to every episode. So if you don't want to go searching for it through all the different podcasting platforms, you don't have to just go to the animalfilespodcast.com and you'll find all that there. Yeah. And the whole intention of us highlighting both more popular and the rare breeds of particular categories of breeds, whether it's dogs or cats, is to help give you a really rounded idea of what to consider before getting these dogs. You know, what the differences are, what the similarities are, and hopefully encourage you to delve further yourself if you are considering any of these types of dogs or cats. Or reevaluating if you wanted the breed, but you didn't understand them, maybe you might go with the breed that fits your lifestyle a little bit better. Because we have to think of the dog. Mm -hmm. You don't want to stop a dog from being who they are just because you think it looks good or you, I don't know, have a perception about a breed that may not be a true perception. Mm -hmm. So just consider the dog. Don't stress out these dogs needlessly if you can't provide all of the activities that they need please (laughs) for the dog's sake (laughs) and with that i think we're done for this week (laughs) i think these are cool dogs i hope you got a lot out of it and we will obviously be bringing you more information next week and we are winding down season three so we only got about a, a month or so to go so we got a bunch of neat things coming your way have a great one everyone bye for now 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.